the Two Cities podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 96. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. On today's episode, we're talking about power women, motherhood, and the academy with Dr. Stephanie Chan and Dr. Christina Lee Kim, both of whom contributed to the recent volume, Power Women, Stories of Motherhood, Faith, and the Academy, recently published by IVP. Dr. Chan is Associate Professor of Sociology at Biola University, and Dr. Kim is Associate Professor of Psychology at Biola University. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. Amber Bowen and myself, Grace Sangalang Ng. So something I really appreciated from the conversation with Dr. Kim and Dr. Chan was how they talked about faith as their backbone, as the resource that allows them to balance both motherhood and academic life. And yeah, I really also enjoyed the way that they talked about moving from a prayer of empowerment to a prayer of engagement and being able to depend on the Lord in both spheres of their lives. What did you think about the conversation, Amber? What I particularly loved about this conversation is the way that we were able to talk about what it means to be an academic, what it means to be a mother, and what it means to be a Christian. Those are three things that oftentimes you don't, well, we don't think about them going together. And I think it's really helpful to think about the intersection of those three and how those three benefit each of those different roles or aspects of our lives. And here's our episode with Dr. Chan and Dr. Kim. much for joining us, Dr. Chan and Dr. Kim. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're so happy to have you on the pod today um, to talk about your new book. Just to jump in, I just wanted to ask, how did the book um, get started? Many moons ago, I guess. It was like, maybe it was like five years ago. We we were meeting uh, at Biola. I work at Biola and there's a lot of professor moms at Biola and we realized the need for a support group. So we started this professor mommy group at Biola. And at one of our meetings, I think the idea just came up like we should write a book. You know, we should talk about the experiences of being a professor mom in a Christian and Christians at the same time. And let's talk about the intersection of those three worlds. And so a lot of the chapters come from people who were in that original support group, but the project grew and we started to invite, you know, Christian professor moms who are at um, non-Christian institutions or in administrative positions or juggling ministry um, and, you know, their Um, and motherhood as well. So it grew out of that uh, desire to extend support um, for, you know, academic Christian mothers, you know, more broadly outside of that little circle that we had, uh, which was a a great experience for us. So we knew that a lot of people would benefit from support in this area. Yeah. And if I can add to that, I think like we sensed that there really wasn't any resource specifically that addressed this unique intersection, um, working in academia and 
being Christian and being a mother, like each has its own subculture, but then the combination of the three is so unique. Um, and so we thought it could be helpful for other, other professor moms or other working moms in, in the Christian Academy to hear about some of our experiences. I know like, as I was reading other people's chapters, I felt like, yes, like it was so validating mm-hmm. and encouraging um, just to hear other people's experiences and know that you're not alone. That's so true that the intersection between the three is very rare to be an academic, to be a Christian and to be a mom. And I'm wondering if you can describe a little bit from your experience and maybe some of the things that come out in the book about what some of the ways that motherhood and the academic life can work together um, such as such that they're actually mutually beneficial. And so, you know, that can mean how is the academic life in some ways conducive to motherhood? Um, and in what ways have you found that your experience of motherhood has actually contributed to your academic life as well? Thanks for that question, Amber. That's really what my chapter is about, because I was hearing a lot of stories of the distressed working mother or, you know, just the suffering of the, you know, working woman. And what I really wanted to do was provide a counter narrative to that, because in my own life, both as a child of a professor mom and as a professor mom myself, I saw so many ways in which they actually work so well together. And some of the ways, um, so I borrow from uh, two professors, Greenhouse and Powell, and they talk about a concept called work-life enrichment. And that's when your work in one role can enrich your you know, work in another role. And so he talks about, you know, they, they talk about skills and perspectives, psychological resources, I would say those are kind of the two big ones for me in which they go both ways. So I think as a professor mom, I'm really good at research, right? So I, when I was looking for preschools for my kids, I had, I was able to research, I was able to understand the context of education, you know, in America and preschool education and just all the nuances of that. And so that was really helpful. My mom was in healthcare. So I felt like she was so good at navigating the healthcare environment, um, teaching us to ask questions, be advocates for our own health. And like, she always found and researched the best doctors for us. And she had all these connections in healthcare as well. So even when I moved to San Diego, she found me a doctor, a specialist that I needed. And so I saw those awesome research skills like at work, but also psychological resources because Um, You know, I think being a parent is super hard. It's difficult. And I think as, you know, whole whole people, we thrive on, you know, just mental and intellectual stimulation as well. And I remember the days of early parenthood were so hard for me because I felt like, my my kid isn't talking back to me. I mean, in a good way, you know, we're, we're not able to have conversation. I feel like I'm reading the same books over and over again. And that monotony was actually really challenging to me. And so being engaged in academia and having like the, you know, family sphere helped to kind of balance that out and to be like, okay, now I can really engage my mind in a way that I wasn't able to. And just you know, those experiences with motherhood, but it goes the reverse too. I feel like as a mother, I feel like I'm a better leader um, than I was previously. I feel like I have skills for working out conflict or for, you know, coaching and developing people and also for seeing people in a more holistic way than I did before. So um, some researchers talk about this is that 
Uh, when you interview professor moms, they kind of see their students in a new light and you think that could be my child, you know? So as you're, you grow in your ability to mentor, you grow in your ability to be understanding, to be empathetic. And so it bears out in even research studies that show in a lot of ways, mothers are, you know, more engaged in work and they are even have all these skills um, that they contribute to work that are transferred over from their family lives. So yeah, so it's really important for me to share the, you know, the narrative that, hey, there's all these benefits of putting these two worlds together. And I don't know if we're going to have the question later, but I'll, I'll, I can talk about how faith contributes to both of those as well. But I'll pass it over to Christina. What have you seen? That was so good stuff. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, yes. No, really, I, I think being an academic all the things you were saying about our research skills and our critical thinking and how that actually enhances our parenting. Um, on the flip side of that, I would say, you know, I teach psychology and one of the classes I teach is developmental psychology. My students would tell you that, um, you know, I'm sharing stories about my family. So they're reaping the benefits of hearing real life examples of how developmental concepts like play out in my own household with my own children. And I don't share them just to be funny, but I share them with a purpose to actually showcase. Um, yeah, this is what it looks like, right? When we're talking about this concept, this is actually what it looks like. Um, and students have told me over the years how helpful it is that the stories stick and helps, helps them to remember what we were talking about in developmental psych. So I think absolutely both worlds benefit each other and can be mutually rewarding and enhancing. I actually had the benefit of having an office next to Christina's classroom when she was telling these stories about motherhood. <laughs> they really? were so like, and the students were so engaged and it was, and I remember like, sorry, Christina, I was like <laughs> eavesdropping on your class, but um, I was right next door. And I totally saw that beautiful, you know, synthesis of motherhood and uh, her teaching come together. <laughs> That's so funny. One of my um, mentors, is a woman named Esther Meek. And so I'm in philosophy and so she's a, a philosopher. And she says that the thing that contributed the most to her philosophical development was actually the experience of motherhood. Wow. Which is quite compelling. But she says it totally changed the way that she viewed the world and the types of things that she noticed and the types of things that she found to be important and also ways that she could contribute. Mm -hmm. So you can, reading her philosophy, you just think, so only a woman would have noticed that, first of all, but really only a, a mom too. Like there's, there's a real maternal sense to what, to her projects and what she's doing. Um, but one of the things that I've talked about with her is the, the need, you know, we have academic fathers and that's something we talk about quite a bit, you know, the doctor father kind of thing, but this need for academic mothers is also really, really important in these, these female figures, these kind of academic mom figures. And so I, I think about not just, you know, the, the experience of motherhood, maybe helping you see things or provide analogies or whatever, but even just a kind of maternal presence in the academy, I think is so valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I was just, um, I was just, there's a website, there's a sociologist who who actually studies all those rate my professor evaluations and shows how they're gendered. Have you seen this? You can like type in different words and see how they come up for different professors, but like the nurturing ones and the, 
caring ones. And I even had my students just do the exercise. I said, think of your three of your professors and I want you to describe them in three words. And I had them like put it up on poll everywhere and we made like a little map of it. And, and sure enough, it was very like gender skewed. Like their male professors are intelligent um, and funny. Funny came up a lot, but their female professors are caring. And 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 I think that's, that's interesting. Um, so there's so many things I could say about that. But I do think that Professor moms are able to bring that into the classroom. I just wish it wasn't devalued so much as a trait of a professor, right? So um, I think society needs to move forward a bit and not just valuing like intelligence. Um, and I wish they would see professor mothers as intelligent as well, because uh, I know we are, uh, but, but also to value um, the relational aspects of, of being a good professor as well. Yeah. Yeah. And can I also ask to add another layer to this, which is the faith component too. So yeah. how do you see that kind of intersecting with both academia as well as your motherhood roles and experiences? That, that's an interesting question. I think because the context, at least where Stephanie and I both work is at a Christian school. And so we, we have a lot of freedom to bring faith and, and actually some expectation to bring faith into what we teach, um, how we interact with our students and care for them. Um, so that kind of creates a unique little um, experience that maybe not all professor mothers share if they don't work in Christian uh, universities. Um, I think for myself, I can't pull apart faith from anything that I do, because it's such a huge part of who I am and how I see the world. And so that's one of the reasons I like working where I work, because I don't have to compartmentalize my faith. I can be open about faith and kind of readily talk about how God uh, is working maybe in my life or questioning how God is working in my students' lives. Um, I can actually talk about uh, God in the 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 things I learn about God through my discipline and, um, and also through mothering and, and sharing that with students. And so I feel like it's very like integrated. Mm -hmm. um, all of it is just being able to be all of who I am, which is such a privilege. Um, and I know that that's not necessarily a privilege that's shared for all people. Mm -hmm. um, definitely when I worked in previous settings that were not faith-based, um, there was an aspect of needing to be careful, like when I bring in faith and when I don't and um, needing to compartmentalize this aspect of myself. But I think something that relates to an earlier question too, about how this benefits our students is a when, especially, and not just for our female students, for our male students too, <laughs> It's so healthy for them to be able to see that it is possible to be a mom and to be a professor and to be Christian mm -hmm. and, and to have all of that be all of who you are um, without shame and without guilt and without, you know, like this is just who I am and this is where God has put me and called me to be. Um, I was sort of blown away um, at the start of this semester when one of my grad students came up to me and and I had shared a little bit about my family and how my dad was a pastor. So I was a PK and, um, and she is also Korean American like me. And she came up to me after class and said, wow, like Dr. Kim, I feel like I resonate so much with things. I'm also a PK. I also went to, you know, your undergrad school, I'm Korean. And I thought, 
wow, can I be you someday? Like, like it, I've never seen a Korean woman who's a mom, who is a pastor's kid in this space. And like, you could tell she was, she was like almost like moved to tears because she felt like, wow, God has brought me here because um, he wants to show me that I can do certain things that I've never thought that I could do, or that I would never thought that I would be allowed to do. Um, And that's encouraging for me to be able to um, show to students that there are things that you can do. Um, You don't have to compartmentalize who you are. You can, you can be all of who you are. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I think um, this book forced me to think of the question of like how faith, you know, enters into the conversation. I think for me, I had originally envisioned when I wrote about the intersection of these three, I thought that I would write about how faith creates extra demands, you know, because I thought about like, you know, we have this additional sphere of our lives that we devote a lot of our times to time to like our churches, small groups, you know, like whole Christian life is a whole nother, you know, uh, sphere within our lives. And I thought it would compete, you know, with both work and parenthood. But I think when I reflected more on it and using some tools that I introduced in the chapter, I started to think about how actually faith is the backbone. It really contributes to being able to have work-life enrichment. And what's interesting is that in studies that they did on conservative Protestant women, conservative Protestant women had less work-life conflict than other women. And it was kind of a puzzle, right? And so when I reflected on my own life, I started to get some clues as to why. And one of the reasons is that you have less work-life conflict if you value the two things equally, um, as opposed to valuing one more than the other. And if you think about it, faith actually gives us the resource to value both, right? I work as unto the Lord, you know, but also I'm called to be a parent, you know, and and that is a Christian calling too. Um, But we never make either of those things the ultimate thing, because our ultimate thing is God, right? And so following him, serving him, glorifying him is the ultimate thing. And so we're able to relativize both, I think, work and and parenthood. And I think in Christianity, I mean, in the world at large, it's easy to make work an idol, you know, and Christians are not exempt from that and even ministry an idol, right? Um, and But I think it's easy for Christians to make parenthood an idol too, because that's like an acceptable God, you know, um, to worship in a way within our Christian subculture. Um, so actually having faith means I am, you know, realizing that neither of these two things are of supreme importance. And that in a surprising way actually helps out us out to better have work-life balance within our lives, you know, no matter what field we're, we're in. Yeah, I really love um, how you say your faith is like the ultimate resource and backbone to view both your work life and um, your family life equally, um, since the ultimate goal um, is up to service to the Lord. Um, Yeah, I think that's a really great way to to see the two working together. Um, And to go along with that, I know that like a lot of times the way that this conversation is framed is about um, work life conflict instead of work-life enrichment. So how do we move that conversation um, towards more work-life enrichment instead of the work-life conflict? I feel like that's what your chapter was about, Steph. <laughs> my book. No, no, just kidding. Read book. book. No, my book. It's a, a collective effort. Read the chapter, share it with other people. 
have us on your podcast, you know, no, we just like have more conversations that are geared around this, you know, I mean, we, I want, you know, New York times, Washington post, LA times publish more articles about, you know, the celebration of work-life enrichment. Um, I think it was so critical that even these management professors came up with this term. They gave us a word to use, make work-life enrichment part of your vocabulary, make it part of your workplace, make it something that's celebrated. I, I think that the culture shift is a huge part of it, you know, and that takes place through, you know, podcasts and media and, you know, YouTube videos and, you know, um, shows, you know, or anything that shows that, you know, these two things can work together well. Yeah, they absolutely can. And it's not to minimize the conflict we experience. Yeah. Of course, we experience work-life conflict. Um, and I think most mothers in any profession um, know very well like how hard it is to juggle the demands of family and the demands of work and, um, and not just mothers, parents too, like a father's too. Um, and I think sometimes that like, when you only talk about it through the lens of conflict, it does a disservice because it, you know, makes us only think about the conflict in our lives, as opposed to what Stephanie was talking about, where there's so much enrichment. I'm so thankful to be able to work in the academy, um, in academia where there's, you know, I know I have a bit more flexibility in my schedule um, than like, let's say my sister does who works more, you know, your traditional eight to five everyday type of job. Um, It doesn't mean that my schedule is easier. (laughs) Let's make that clear. She also doesn't work until two in the morning sometimes uh, that we do. But the thing is, it's like, there are so many good things. And I think it always helps us when we think of good and bad mixed, as opposed to trying to make things all good or all bad. Mm. So I'm wondering how gender ideology affects the way we view motherhood, um, as well as the expectations that are placed on women or that are even beyond placed on women, but are just internalized um, by mothers. I'm wondering if you have any insights on that. Yeah, my chapter kind of addresses some of this because I talk about motherhood ideology, which is in some ways a subcomponent of gender ideology. When we talk about gender ideology, what I'm talking about is, you know, how do we, how we've come to see like what's expected of men or what's expected of women in our society. Um, And then when I think about motherhood ideology, it's all the things that we have come to expect of being a good mother. Um, What does that look like in our lives? And it probably looks different for each of us. Like, for example, for some people, being a good mother is being a stay at home mom, Um, you know, doing certain things that you've come to like cooking or whatever. For other women, being a good mother might be being a working mom. Um, And so everybody has a different motherhood ideology, but, and, and that's usually shaped by the experiences they've had in their lives, the messages that they've internalized through their families, through society, through church, through, you know, schooling and all of that. Um, But absolutely it it places expectations. Um, So it's valuable to explore. Okay. What do I think it means to be a good mom? Like when I, get down on myself for not cooking uh, healthy meals, wholesome, organic meals for my family five nights a week. You know, I think, oh, I'm such a bad mom. Um, What's interesting is uh, my husband doesn't actually see it that way. You know, he, he doesn't mind that we're doing takeout or whatever, because that's actually not in his motherhood ideology. And I think there are other certain things that are more valuable to him um, in terms of what it means to be a good mother. And I think it's helpful for us to recognize what kinds of expectations we place on ourselves and where those expectations came from. 
Um, and then also helpful to recognize that different women have different expectations. And it might be helpful to know where those expectations came from, because otherwise we can get really quick to judge one another. And that's not fair. Yeah, I like how Christina points out that there's a diversity of motherhood ideologies and all of those different social influences we've had on our lives, you know, play a role. One of the things that we both talk about as an American cultural influence is the intensive mothering ideology, the idea that to be a good mother in the U.S. at this period of time, because it wasn't always this way. You know, you think about a lot of us grew up with our parents, like kind of ignoring us, right? Like, <laughs> especially like Gen X, we kind of like did our own thing and we watched latchkey it all on the TV. Yeah, yeah, latchkey kids. And it was okay for your parents to ignore you. But like in the intensive mothering period that we're in now, as sociologist uh, Sharon Hayes has talked about, it's like, you have to be there for your kids 24 seven. You have to be intensively cultivating their lives, right? Like you have to be putting them in all kinds of lessons and shepherding and driving them to all those kinds of places and feeding your kids organic food, you know, personally pureed, you know, at your house and, you know, all of those things. There's all these like a heap of expectations. Uh, that's part of this intensive mothering culture where a mother should be expending 2,000% 2, 2, of her energy, you know, on her child, on her children, it wasn't always this way. So that's how you can see it's a social construction of our particular era. But, you know, as much as you don't want like to let those kind of ideologies affect you, they do, right? And you you do compare yourself, you know, to the moms who can do those things. Um, I think Pinterest was very evil in this way, right? <laughs> like, uh, making us all kind of covet like what other mothers were able to do for their child's birthday or, you know, in, in other aspects of life as well. And um, G talks about this in her chapter in the book about how she admired her friends, like, you know, made from scratch cake. Um, and and her, her chapter is great because she talks about how um, the expectations of for fathers are so different. So is a grace that we can apply to our lives to think of ourselves as a uh, a female dad, you know? So <laughs> if I, and she, she has shared this, like if I made a, a cake from a box and if I were a dad who did that, we would be like, wow, way to go, dad. You know, you did such a great job, you know? So to be able to see ourselves through that lens is one way that we can show grace to ourselves too. Um, and not to just, you know, um, be kind of, you know, oppressed by these motherhood ideologies that are around us. Well, you know, the thing about mother, like that intensive motherhood framework too, that I think is like, to what end? There's no research that suggests that just because we're intensive mothers, our children are better off for it. Um, if anything, we're seeing evidence that intensive, like a hovering tiger, like all of that stuff, like that motherhood can actually not necessarily be the best for the development of our children. And so is it about us or is it about our kids or is it about our families? And I think this is where when Stephanie talks about, you know, faith being the backbone, it's like, ultimately, what has God called us to do um, and who has God called us to be? And I talk a little bit about it in my chapter, but are we making idols of our children? Because, you know, the object for whom we work so hard is of supreme importance. Like, who are we working so hard for? Um, and unfortunately, I think sometimes the intensive mothering um, and the pressures we place on ourselves can be ways that we're trying to compensate for our own feelings of need to be affirmed or seen in a certain light 
as opposed to, is it really good for our kids or is it really what God's calling us to do and live out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or even, even good for you too. I like how you both have talked about who are we ultimately working for and everything that we do and all of our callings and roles and all these things. Um, So that's kind of a broader horizon, right? Of like, we're working ultimately for the Lord, which I think is so helpful because one of the things you also talk about in kind of the contemporary ideology of motherhood is um, all of the mommy wars that break out. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple of friends who are new moms and they just talk about how it is just atrocious and all consuming and just, you can never win. And you have to have, you know, these particular kinds of sippy cups and these particular kinds of, you know, imported pajamas or else you hate your kids, you know, and there's so much pressure. And hearing them talk about these blogs, I just kept thinking, this is the danger of falling into a hole, right? Where your world is just encompassed by this one thing in this one group, um, which can help us, like it, it can make it hard for us to remember that bigger horizon of working unto the Lord. So not to say that, you know, work has to be that thing that kind of pulls you out of the hole. It could be ministry. It could be any number of things, right? But seems to me that doing these other kinds of activities just helps to reinforce like the how these things are relative right they're not ultimate um but what is ultimate is is God and serving him um I'm wondering if you if you think that that's legitimate in terms of how to think about it and how maybe motherhood and the academy can help each other in that way spiritually for us absolutely I mean I don't want to knock like mothers who are so invested in their children because I mean yeah that's that's great. And it's not like we're not invested in our children for sure. Like we're all into, but I do think there's something valuable about um, women who have other places to set their energies and interests beyond just their children or just their husband or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because God has gifted us in so many ways to serve him. Um, And I think there can be great value in that. And then when you look at the research on children who grow up with working moms, actually like there's some benefits to kids to have moms that are working. Um, And that can't be easily ignored either. Um, I I want my kids to feel like if that's what they want to pursue in their own lives and that's what they're, what God is calling them to, of course, that they can do that because they've seen how that works. Am I a hundred percent there for them or perfect, perfectly, whatever. One thing I've noticed, and I don't, want to make this like an excuse, but is the times that I can't be there for my kids because I'm working, I'm starting to realize that's probably a little healthy thing too. Not that I'm neglecting them because I'm not neglecting them, but to have those moments for them to, to, to need to find something, hopefully that space is filled by God, is filled by their dad, is filled by one another, their friends, but something beyond just mom to fulfill their needs. I actually think that that can be a benefit to their growth and to their faith development too. Um, I don't want to purposely go about intentionally disappointing my children. That's never my intent. Um, And I work really hard to try not to do that, but I'm also in communication. Like I can't, I can't be there for you. And in for this, I'm going to try and make it, you know, I can't be there for you for this or whatever. And I see the disappointment. Um, And then I also see them, resilient and they're like, you know what, that's okay. Um, and they're able to kind of move beyond that. And I think that built little, little moments of, of those, I think are actually really healthy for our kids. Um, and that goes back to that intensive mothering. I actually don't think that that's helpful for our kids. 
Um, but they need to experience little things like that. Yeah. I definitely hope we see a pendulum shift in the other direction, you know, to a little less intensive, because I do think I agree with Christina that I think that's healthy. And going back to what you said, Amber, I, I like that um, image of expanding the horizons of just like new perspectives and heights, you know, from which to view these things. And even I think academically, I remember being very feeling very guilty that I wasn't spending more time with my kids, especially in the early years when I had to go back after maternity leave. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I ruining my kids' lives? But then I was able to go look at the research, <laughs> right? Because I'm a you know researcher and I'm like, oh, you know, there's been a study on how much time you spend with your kids at different stages of their lives and whether or not that has an impact on outcomes. And what they show is that actually the early years are not that important. The, the critical years for moms to be spending time with their kids is actually teens. And, and I don't think we often think of that. We often think, oh, when they're babies, you got to spend the most time with them. But babies are, you know, they benefit from lots of different caretakers. But in the moment of like adolescence, um, teenage years, I think especially for boys, it showed that's when they really need time with their moms. So um, I so yeah, so academia allowed me to go, hey, but what does the research actually show about this mm -hmm. rather than the myths that are out there or kind of just the sayings or folk ideas that we have, you know, in parenthood. So yeah, I think the, uh, the image of an expanded horizon uh, is a great one. And just to nuance, like what you were saying, Steph, about, you know, I think the early years are important, um, but maybe not in the ways that intensive mothering pictures that like it's not important to have the perfect sippy cup <laughs> and it's not important to spend a hundred you know um you know the research when you look at the research on daycare and the use of daycare kids what it shows is that children who are in daycare settings you know they can reap benefits depending on the quality of the daycare and all of that stuff but um what it ultimately shows is that their attachment with their parents their, their home environment is more important and has the most impact on them beyond how many hours they're spending in daycare, you know, whether it's like a good quality daycare or not, whatever. Basically, it's like the home environment that we provide for them is just as impactful whether you are staying home with them full time or your child's in daycare 40 hours a week. When they have a good relationship with you and an attachment with you in their young ages, like in those preschool eight years, um, that's going to matter more than any other thing that we do. And so it's, it's important in the sense that we have a safe, positive home, like loving environment. Um, but does that mean we have to be home with them, you know, 80 hours a week or whatever that time is? Um, no, being able to be separate from them for certain amounts of hours during the week or whatever, it's not going to impact them in a negative way. Yeah, I love um, everything that you shared, um, Dr. Chan and Dr. Kim, about the need to also step back from some of that intensive mothering. Um, ideology and how that actually can build um, resilience for your children. And I'm also thinking how that can help you um, being a, a mother as well, just setting boundaries for yourself too. Um, and so a question I have is, how do you find rest in God despite all of the daily demands of motherhood and academic life? I think I'm like Christina, like I can't do it without God. You know, like I feel like it's, um, he's not an afterthought. He's like, the only reason I survive each day. Um, so I feel like 
I really use my commute time. You know, my drive to campus is usually a big time for me because I remember thinking, when do I find time, you know, to spend with God in the midst of this? And the commute is really helpful for me to say, hey, you know, to like ground my day in God, to start my day with God. Um, after I've like sent the kids off to school and gotten all of that chaos out of the way, I usually take moments, my my commute and then my first moments at my desk at work are usually my times to just be like, okay, God, this is yours. And, and, and I feel like I can't do it without him. So I don't even know how the non-Christian <laughs> professor mommies function, because for me, it's just about constant reliance on God. It's about just being aware of his presence and his strength, strengthening of me, you know, throughout the day. And so I think, um, but yeah, I also think I like how you pointed out the need to find rest. Um, I think there is a need to like, for me, my time of rest is usually like, I should, I should actually probably get more sleeping kinds of rest, but right after my kids go to bed, it's usually like my time. And I found it's very essential to have that time, uh, whatever that looks like in terms of self-care for people. But I find that if, like my mom would always say, like, if you can't, you know, put your mask on first, it's like, you know, the plane, the emergencies in the plane, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first before you can put your kid's oxygen mask on. And I think that, you know, part of for a Christian professor mom putting the oxygen mask on first means like I need to spend time with God, you know, and I need to be centered in him and, and find rest in him. Like before I can actually uh, meet the demands, both of work and parenthood and ministry as well. Yeah, I would resonate with that. I absolutely agree. My commute time too. I, that's what I use as well, just to pray and center myself and, um, you know, it's funny that finding rest, like I feel like self-care in our society has been promoted in such ways, like you think spa day or whatever. Actually, those are not restful for me. Um, I, I find myself needing moments of rest scattered throughout the day. And that could be just, yeah, downtime for myself. It could be the cup of coffee that I'm drinking in a quiet space. Um, for me, that's more essential because I just don't have the time to take a whole day off and go on a spa day. If anything, it's more stressful for me because I think of all the work I have to do when I get back. Um, and so it's helpful for me to think of rest as, and, and I think maybe, you know, I talk about in my chapter, the verse in Matthew where Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And I'm thinking, yoke like that does not sound restful to me that's like this heavy thing like on but as i was reflecting on it more you know that's a side by side being paired with jesus in a way where the yoke he's carrying it right with you and i think i'm starting to to come to a place where seeing finding rest in jesus is about being near to jesus all throughout the day rather than doing like some massive retreat or self care activity those are helpful at times being near to Jesus throughout the day. And then also my spiritual director was pointing this out to me. Like when I pray rather than merely praying for empowerment, that's what I usually do. Like I pray for strength, Lord, give me strength to do this or give me wisdom for this. But even in that, it's almost like I'm asking something from God and then I'm still going out and doing it myself, as opposed to moving from praying for empowerment towards praying 
for engagement. Like, Lord, you're already at work in this situation. And how can I join you in that? Mm. What do you desire from me um, as you're already at work in this situation? And I feel like that is so much more of that side-by-side yoke, being yoked to Jesus that gives me rest. Um, I think it's starting to change the way I'm thinking about praying. I still pray for empowerment, of course, but also trying to be mindful of the ways that I'm tempted to still do things all on my own, just, you know, with the goods that God gave me, as opposed to singing, no, God's the one at work. And how can I join him in the work that he's doing? Um, yeah, it's something I've just been reflecting on. I really love that, Dr. Kim, um, how you phrased it, moving from a prayer of empowerment to a prayer of engagement and having that dependence on the Lord. Um, I think that's just so helpful for for anyone to hear um, how we can move more towards that. Yeah, that being yoked with Jesus and being moving alongside him um, instead of doing things on our own. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation with both of you. And yeah, I love your like dynamic as well. It's been really fun. I think it's funny because like all these power women contributors, like we all contributed to the same book, but a lot of us haven't gotten a chance to talk to each other about our own chapters and work. And so I was on another, you know, an Ivy, you know, uh, event. And that was the first time we had met. And then like Christina and I know each other and we go, you know, pretty far back, but this is the first time we got to talk about each other's chapters together, you know? So it, it's a, it's, thank you for giving us the opportunity to, it's like, it, we, we needed this to bring us together to talk, actually talk about the work together. So yeah, no, yeah. seriously. Yeah. I mean, like I'm reading other people's chapters and I'm like floored by them. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good. But then I haven't actually had a chance to talk to any of the others about their chapters. So thank you. That's so cool to hear. Yeah. I didn't know like how exactly interacted or you were with each other um, with all the authors. So it's really cool to hear you interact with one another on this podcast. So (laughs) I'm grateful for the opportunity to just watch it happen. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again, um, Dr. Kim and Dr. Chan for being on our podcast. We really loved listening um, to you talking about your um, book, Power Woman, and how faith motherhood and the academy um, all work together and how um, it's just so mutually um, benefiting so thanks again for your time we loved having you thanks so much for having us yeah thank you grace thank you amber thanks for having us